0: Coming up next, the bookending eviscerates Dostoevsky.
1: No. Well, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. I am wearing his intestines around my neck like a necklace. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Eviscerate means to literally rip the intestines out of
0: something. <laughs> out. You know yeah. what, folks? I'm not even going to play the whole theme song. We're just going to go straight into it, because how can we come back from that? Well, we did famously dig up mark twain so we could hit jane Austen. what did you do to mark twain jake and old Brooklyn lore
1: <laughs> so, so you could hit him, over the, him Austen, over the head with jane head with his
0: own chambon i think his own right. Chimbone, yeah yeah and now we've eviscerated dostoevsky and
1: brandon has made his is, is wearing his guts around his neck like something that stepped out of like a mad max movie mm-hmm. there you go i'm a mad max literary scholar mm-hmm yep what can i say i'm awesome well, speaking of...
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, sorry. I watched 2001 A Space Odyssey last night, and it was a compromise between Mad Max and a rom-com. <laughs> and, yeah. and I just had that just the reality oh, of that yeah. play again in my mind that that was somehow the choice. And well, what a joke.
0: Somebody has <laughs> HBO Max. Oh, that's funny. 100%, man. Hey. I don't know why people knock that. That's a great streaming service. HBO Max? Yeah. It's the best. I mean, I'm sorry that they're ruining cinema or whatever, but what an entertaining streaming service to have. What do
1: they have available? Well, they've, got of the, they've, they've got,
2: got Turner got... Classic Movies, so they have oh. everything that's great and classic. Like, huh. not literally everything, but they have so much. I mean, much. Wizard of
0: Oz, Casablanca, Singing in the Rain, like all that. It
2: just doesn't matter what, if, it's not, Netflix, if it's not owned it by Netflix. Disney.
0: Oh, cancel Netflix yesterday. Oh, yeah. And get if this. it's not owned by Disney, and it's great, in
2: classic, they've got it there. They also oh. have a ton of, like, a, all the DC catalog.
0: They have a bunch of anime crap. And, just... and it's Warner Brothers, so they just have a nice deep catalog of Like the Studio Ghibli you know. stuff. Yeah, they've got Studio Ghibli. All of it. But then they've got, like, just 90s, you know, rom-coms and Mississippi Burning. Like, just those kinds of things. Good that, stuff. That Netflix, you're like, I can't believe Netflix got the... Rainmaker. John Grisham's The Rainmaker. What a quality title. Well, HBO Max is nothing but like its worst is is that kind of stuff. Hmm. Anyway, this podcast is not about HBO Max. What about Apple Plus? This podcast is totally about Apple Plus. Or whatever they call it,
1: Apple TV.
2: The yeah. Apple TV Plus Never. You no, it's not worth it. it. No. No.
1: no. Their originals are stupid. Yeah. The only thing they have right now is I like that cartoon saloon studio. They did Wolf Walker's. I wanted to see that. I don't know. What People that did those words mean "Song of the Sea." Oh, "Song of the Sea," Breadwinner.
2: Yeah, that's all on Apple TV
0: Plus.
1: No, those aren't. But the new one by their <laughs> oh. Studio is.
0: Oh, okay. There you go. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. Exclusively.
0: Well, speaking of exclusive, yeah. This podcast was supposed to be exclusively about the brothers Karamazov, but we're two minutes in and we've gone completely off the rails. I don't want to talk about this book. <laughs> Brandon, I was so proud of our first episode, like we got on topic quickly. Yeah. You remember when we tried to read, what was it that we did recently? Oh, 1984. Yeah. Those had those were some long introductions. They were. Where nothing remotely literary happened. There are some crows outside the window.
2: <laughs> there are some. And it's
0: snowing. Crows and it's snowing.
2: And they're just like yapping about the snow.
1: Yeah. Can y'all hear that? Can you hear that, folks? You know who would never once mention crows or the fact that it was snowing in his novels? Mm -hmm. Edgar Allan Poe. Dostoevsky, because he never talks about anything outside of the minds of his uh, characters. That is a fact that a lot of critics pointed out. And and I was like, yeah, once I thought back about his books, you're right. He doesn't, you never feel like you're there. You don't, you have no clue what it would be like to live in that town. He's
0: all, he's all interior. And yet, what town? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: what... And yet, I I don't think he's a good psychologist. I don't think he has a good understanding of how character actually. Works. It'd be one thing if it was Jane Austen, where she never explains where you are. Like it's just like ah, oh, it's another walk on another property somewhere. That's probably pretty. Like you fill in your own blanks. You fill in your own blanks. But she's a one of the best psychologists ever to put pen to paper. But yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll, we'll get to it. I'm Nathan. That's Brandon. That's
1: Jake. This is the booking. Brandon sounds like this. Hey. So that guy that i was talking about last time david bentley yeah he talks about the same thing he says that people talk about dostoevsky being a psychologist and nietzsche even said he was the best psychologist he had ever read he said this is just bad for one he had disagreed went out of his mind so he would know yeah Yeah. and that's basically what he said he said that this is these are people who mistake psychology for the extremes of how we think and feel like as long as something makes it feel extreme then therefore it's psychological
0: Mm-hmm. Well, here's, here's, I'll just give my hot take on all this. Psychology is a mix of gets the ideas and the assumptions that we bring. Those are the yeast. But then there's like the flour that is our feelings and our childhood. And then there's the salt. And you, you put it all in there and you bake it up and you have a bread that is your psychology. But the way that Dostoevsky thinks about it is so reductive. The character has this idea like there is no God. And so therefore he commits an action. One to one. A to B. And it's like, no. We don't
2: make sense. We're not ra- that rational. No, yeah. Nobody is that rational. Nobody thinks their way, entirely thinks their way to their actions. It's not how it works, for one. For two, Dostoevsky is everybody, his assumption about humanity is so- Stupid? Sim- simplistic, yeah. right? Like his understanding even of original sin and depravity, he understands a fundamental thing. We're sinners and guilty but that runs in exactly one direction for him. And that direction is therefore nobody has any self-control and is completely given over to decadence. Mm -hmm. And so everybody fits into this one channel. Yeah. And that's not how original sin works. That's not how the doctrine of total depravity works. But
0: Alyosha
1: and Father Zozima.
0: Well, his, his heroes are so insipid. If Alyosha was actually a boss, like if Alyosha had some spine, if Alyosha was a good
1: character, it would. Well, this is change what, this novel. It is interesting because Alyosha actually. We talked in context about how this was part one of mm-hmm. a series for him. As far as they can tell from his notes, I didn't confirm this, but I. This I took this, a class a, a while back when we read Anna Karenina. Actually, in this mm-hmm. class, he talked about Dostoevsky. This professor wasn't a big fan of Dostoevsky either, and he said that it's interesting. To point out and realize that critics think, scholars think, not critics, scholars think that his intentions for Alyosha was for Alyosha to kind of lose his faith. Yay. Of course. Yeah. yeah. That's well, the clear yeah, setup.
2: That's what you expect to Maybe happen. Maybe to get by it by back
1: again, novel. but Alyosha was going to kind of mirror Dostoevsky's own.
0: Well, the Grand Inquisitor, I think, is the perfect uh, Dostoevsky in miniature. And what you have there is the bad guys like. This is why God sucks. This is why church sucks. This is why, I mean, I'm sorry to be profane, but I'm not being any more profane than the Grand Inquisitor is, than Dostoevsky is. This is why everything's terrible. This is why there is no morality. This is why all conventional morality is wrong. And then Alyosha stands up and gives his brother a kiss. And the idea is, well, we still have to struggle forward with some kind of faith, but it's so insipid. It's so lame. Like the bad guy just made... A very compelling very poetic very memorable argument and the good guy is like eh i can well, i can maybe do a
1: thing that is the problem with dostoevsky and a lot of the way that people read him is that they see dostoevsky as being that way to them is mm-hmm. that they're just as bad as dimitri they're just as bad as ivan father ivan. karamazov as ivan and they're Theodore. just as smart and tortured And Dostoevsky is understanding them and giving them a kiss, right? And saying, it's okay. I understand. It's fine. Right? So he's like, he's an affirmation on their already existing affirmation of themselves. You're seen and heard. mm -hmm. Yeah. Because most people who are like that in the first place, they already affirm themselves. Yeah. Right. And they think that's how they got there in the first place is because they're so tortured and individualistic that nobody else gets them except themselves. And finally, they find Dostoevsky, who gets them. And
0: yeah, but I guess if I'm gonna play devil's advocate here for a second, if Dostoevsky was sitting here, he'd say, "Guys, I know. Like, I, you know, I've, Ivan goes mad at the end. It doesn't work out for Dmitri. Like, I, you, you guys are criticizing me for the very thing I'm doing, which is showing where all this stuff ends up, actually." Like when you embrace these philosophies, which were real things that have now corrupted the world, that were beginning to corrupt the world in my time, you reach a dead end, and that's what I'm dramatizing. And so you guys are taking the very thing. You guys are just saying back to me exactly what I tried to say to you, and and yet faulting me for it. Somehow and yet faulting me for, for it somehow. You talked on the last episode about the young man you knew who died. What well, am- I write stories okay, about. If you're young- gonna
2: play the, if you're gonna play the devil's advocate, uh, Dostoevsky. What are you leaving with me with at the end yeah. of all this? Dostoevsky, what where are you taking me? What are you driving me toward? What is the point? Like where where is this going? Yeah.
0: Yeah, give me something. That's my yeah, like you write a good joker, where who's your batman? Like what what's the counterweight? So
2: you're just a you're just a, a nihilist. If yeah, that's the joker, yes, right? Right? Which like if you write a good joker and that's all you can do, then all you've told me is you're a nihilist and well, but you what he would say agree is, fundamentally with Joker's point of view while pointing out the full horror of what would happen if we all actually embraced.
0: Well, and what he reality. would say is yeah. I, to our finite minds, Jake, the Joker's point of view seems like the one that wins. And I don't know how to argue out of it, but I do know that I need to give that kiss that I need to in some existential way that doesn't really make sense to me and it really doesn't make sense to you either if you're being honest i need to stand against it and i need to be selfless and i need to be loving it doesn't make any sense to do those things but i have to and that's what faith is that's faith so and,
2: I, and and then i come back and say well that's exactly what we said was entirely bankrupt about your point of view yeah and <laughs> that's where we got him like you, if if that really is your point of view that's bankrupt it's wrong and so you actually didn't give us anything That's not the answer is to look at the pointless meaninglessness of it all and decide to give a kiss. You and Nietzsche and Camus can all die on that hill if you want to,
0: but it's a dead end. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. That's it. That's Dostoevsky. (laughs) Well, I actually did want to, I said last time I wanted to ask you a question and this is probably a good lead into it. So I started out this podcast criticizing his take on psychology, which is also always a to b and i'm going to exclude b through you know it's, uh, uh b to z b to z you know it's all like like if he wrote pride and prejudice it would be like elizabeth bennett posited that in a world without god we must make our own judgments and so therefore she
1: judged darcy and that's the story you know it'd be like, wow. You're saying, well, it wouldn't be that? No, it would be. And this is the point I guess I'll, I can make later when we talk about more of the specifics of the book. Mm. But you can definitely see, like, I, I, I in principle just agree with Nabokov's take on Dostoevsky. Mm. When he points out the fact that it seems like Dostoevsky really had a hard time getting re- away from the gothic sentimental novels he read a lot of. Like, mm. you know, criticisms of Dickens aside, Dickens at his worst falls prey to his sentimentality. Dickens at his best... Writes gloriously funny human comedies mm-hmm. that get away from it. Dickens wasn't always prey to the worst of himself. Right. Dostoevsky seems to always typically be prey to the worst of himself.
2: When does he transcend it? Who? When and where does Dostoevsky transcend?
1: Yeah, th- like, I would say the closest he comes in this novel, and it's pretty close, is with Alyosha and the children. That's pretty and, good stuff.
2: And... That's but you would also say that's not just the closest he comes in this
1: novel. That's the closest he comes. That's the closest he ever comes. because this,
2: what you've consistently said, and I've not read all of not read Dostoevsky's canon, but what you've consistently said or argued is that Karamazov is the most, the closest he comes
1: to that ever. Yes, and, it is. As yeah. far as from what I've read of Dostoevsky, this is the closest he ever comes.
0: I think there are there are books where his narcissistic, existential, whatever is more useful uh, specifically notes from the underground is a short good book about that kind of man with a lot of insights that I think are helpful
1: for two reasons because it's short mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and, and because he obviously doesn't like that man right yeah and then there's even no- though people misread it and think that he's a big fan of that guy right mm-hmm. but he obviously has a sort of disdain for that guy which is useful because you don't want to be the person that he's disdaining.
0: Yeah. But if that was the only book he'd ever written, you know, a little bit like, what's his face only ever writing the novel Catcher in the Rye. I think, okay, well, I guess he had insight into this kind of guy. But then he when he a writes place. a a book with all these characters and they're all that guy, I mean, what I actually, I don't think I said this on Mike. Maybe I did say this on Mike. I forget. But I, I was going back over some old notes of mine from when I first read Brothers Karamazov. And the first thing that I wrote down was, all the characters are holding caulfield and, and it's really yeah. true like everybody's the underground man even Alyosha in his way even zozima in their way and if they're not well yeah you have the
1: weird scene the, where father zozima dies yeah. and just rots and what is rad is it radigan <laughs> i think it is Rata, it's radigan <laughs> it's really it's i think it is there is it or something yeah it'd be funny if it was radigan though it, that might actually be taken from Racketton. Wouldn't, wouldn't shock me now your but still that weird scene where Rakitin comes up and is kind of his tempter, right, mm-hmm. asking him why are you crying so much about Father Zosima and stuff, mm-hmm. and all Alyosha can do is like give a wry, weird smile or something. Yeah. So,
2: but even Father Zosima, right? He killed a man. Yeah. And he's atoning for his guilt. Isn't, yeah, we're, we're isn't that at the story. Like he killed a man, or he came close to it. Right? He was. No, gonna... oh, no, no. His 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 brother killed a man. Yes. Yeah, somebody somebody, like, yeah. somebody
0: killed a man. His brother killed a man. The, the point being, no character can ever really uh, have an answer the Grand Inquisitor. We
1: all just... The best we can do is father's kiss still. And Father Zozima then went on to woo this woman who he f- found out actually wasn't in love with him, in love with this other guy. So then he challenges that guy to a to duel. To a duel. Mm-hmm. And yeah. They were going to fight, but then suddenly he has his mystic epiphany. And he's telling, and then he loses his credibility with his army friends, but he gains... It's the beginning of his path to being an elder. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So. And then, and then why he likes and latches on to Alyosha is because Alyosha reminds him of a guy who killed a man and got away with it and then died.
0: Right. Yeah. This is
2: just all this tangled.
0: So even Zozima was Holden Caulfield and has only just barely not. sort of figured out how to pretend not to be Holden Caulfield for a while. Right. And Alyosha feels like Holden Caulfield, but. Really, really, really wants to not be Holden Caulfield, so yay, yay him. But this this leads to the question. Or go ahead. Sorry. The only way that Zazima
2: transcends Holden Caulfield is because Zazima is one of the few people that recognizes that everybody's just Holden Caulfield, and it's his job as somebody who's sort of, kind of, maybe transcended Holden Caulfield to be the confessor for all the Holden Caulfields
0: of the world. Yeah, but even then, he's not going to take a. The fascinating thing about all the good guys and all of Dostoevsky is they never take a hard line against. The bad guys, you know, it's yeah. never like, I'm going to stand up to you, Father Karamazov, because you're a terrible, vulgar, coarse, blasphemous man. It's more like, I'm going to bless you and take yeah. it from you because that's what a Christ-like figure has to do. Because your
2: guess. guilt's my guilt and we all share the same guilt and I am just, right. It's, that, it takes that sort of spiritual reality of next to God, we all stand comparatively condemned, but it doesn't acknowledge any kind of actual comparative righteousness that is necessary for real justice, real mercy, and real functioning human relationships
0: in the world. Well, yeah, like functionally, if somebody, you know, Jake, you're a pastor, this kid walks into your office, I'm looking at pornography. You're, you tell him, you need to stop. Right. Pastor Dostoevsky, well, <laughs> <laughs> I looked at a lot of pornography, and uh, but God still sort of there's faith or something.
2: Even though I've never looked at pornography, you're looking
0: at pornography as my own looking at As my own, pornogra- yes, in the way we all look at pornography.
2: It, mm. Yeah, and your womanizing and adultery is my womanizing and adultery and it's all the same. And Let we me all embrace just, you. Let's, let's sort of just like equalize and spread a, around our guilt so that it's never like, actually you worthless father and adulterer and philanderer, you need to be disciplined and punished. And yeah, if you're, if you you're never, causing harm.
0: You never just say, well, I'm the pastor, and by God's grace, I have the moral high ground now. And so I'm either going to help you or discipline you
1: or whatever. But we are not actually yeah. on equal footing, nor should we be. Which I've actually, I was doing some reading, and somebody made that same point. I don't remember who it was now, but they basically said that in his orthodoxy, Dostoevsky actually ends up being less of a Christian. In his mindset, than Tolstoy can 100%. be in his weird, because Tolstoy is more of like the free Protestant who has a view that sin exists, but he has a healthy view of it, and he has a real view of what it's like to be judged in this life and in this world. So Anna Karenina, she gets real judgment, but there's also still sympathy for him too, right? Yeah. So he can both have sympathy for a sinner, but also allow there to be consequences.
2: Exactly. And Dostoevsky does the same thing that lots of immature people do, which they can't they can't separate the condemnation of sin and forgiveness of sins from consequences of sins yeah. and acknowledge that there is some kind of separation there. And so it's like, we all equally bear the condemnation and the consequences and all equally don't in this like weird, yeah, in a weird, confused way. It lets, way. It lets
0: the father, you know, father Karamazov and characters like that off the it hook. It lets them off the hook. They're really not as bad as anyone. Everyone else is all, we're all but that bad. And therefore, nobody's that bad.
2: Yeah. In, 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 there's no, a lot of, a a lot of like modern neo Calvinistic pietism does the same exact sort of thing. It's like, just because, yes, we are all depraved, yes, Romans 1, 2, and 3 nails us all to the wall. That doesn't mean that we look at the father who's molesting his daughter and 15 year old boy who slipped and looked at porn. The exact same way, mm-hmm. they're not—they're not the same. Mm-hmm. That's how you get pastors saying, uh, covering up those kinds of sins under the rug instead of exposing them and dealing with them and bringing them to light and justice and protecting the weak and the vulnerable. Yeah. Yes, forgiveness is offered equally to the father who's molested his daughter and to the fifteen-year-old who's looked at porn, but consequences are not dealt out equally and ought not be.
1: Yeah, there's a sort of bloody, ma- pagan asceticism to it. I mean, the ascetic mm-hmm. views gave rise to the elders in Russia, but that's sort of like the flagellant position of the monks in the Middle, middle Ages, where mm-hmm. every small sin deserved just bloodying up your back with a cat, you know, with a whip. Mm-hmm. It's depraved, in it because it does think that just every. It has no perspective on things, no accurate perspective on things. Yeah, what I feel
0: like with with Tolstoy is his characters are always on this carousel, and they'll come around. You know, somebody like Pierre or Levin will come around to the Dostoevsky point of view and so, for a little, for a chapter or two. Yes, but then life will move on. They'll mature, and then maybe they'll actually hit it again with, with, with the Dostoevsky character. The carousel is just broken and the fair is deserted and they're there's a sad the, clown smoking a cigarette. They're stuck on the <laughs> carousel. From, uh... <laughs> and they're just sitting there. And it's like, <laughs> d- Tol, Tolstoy gets that. I mean, Pierre has that redemptive, weird, <laughs> flagellant kind of moment where he, um, or, or more than moment, where he goes to assassinate the guy and then he be- he's becomes a prisoner and then he loses all the weight. And he com- becomes kind of this Christ figure. I mean, it's it's a very Dostoevsky kind of conceit. What ends up happening to Pierre? But then, like, real life happens to Pierre, and he gets married, and he has kids, and it keeps
1: it yeah, keeps going. Pierre doesn't stay there. Yeah, he, be- he, he becomes goofy Pierre the husband. Who's
0: uh, you? Un- yeah. You think? If you, I mean, it feels like Tolstoy d- does. He does believe in some some of that transcendence through suffering stuff. But yeah. He's always smart enough and psychologically real enough to have his characters not just land there because nobody well, can the realistically best, the land Well, the
2: best there. authors that we've read believe in transcendence through suffering. Right. The best books we've read all have outside of Austin. Right. Austin, an exception. Mm-hmm. But if you think of Tolstoy or uh, Steinbeck or many of the best books that we've had, they all make that mistake. hmm either in big ways or small ways, but there's also much more to them than that. They yeah, transcend their limited idea of transcendence. It's not just suffering is the catharsis that we all must endure in order to atone for our guilt. Mm-hmm. Or worse, suffering is the catharsis we all must embrace to atone yeah. for our guilt. There's more to it. And, but there's not, there is nothing that is... It, that's the sine qua non, that's the be all end all for Dostoevsky. Suffering cathartically to atone for your sins and the sins of the people around you, this is the way. Right, yep, yep. And doesn't life suck? Mm-hmm, yeah. And that's not, I mean, goodness, it's, it's not to, to diminish the real importance Are you saying we suffering. don't have to take
0: our, up our cross, Exactly, Jake. Mm-hmm.
2: right? like one star suffering is how god suffering is how god makes us aware of our sin and the sins, sin of the world suffering is how when we've turned to christ suffering is how we mm-hmm. and are sanctified it's a part of the process and it's not the end in and of itself it's not about wallowing in suffering it's well, about striving for holiness and putting to death your sin and learning to walk in newness of life which can be done in any number of contexts especially in the context of real suffering mm-hmm. there can be joy in life and hope in the midst of real suffering mm-hmm. not a morose navel-gazing suffering as the end that we're trying to attain right small-minded it's mm-hmm. so very small-minded and very very immature and i have a lot of sympathy and affection for everyone age 12 to about 24 mm-hmm. who is feeling that <laughs> but outside we've all been there we've all been there and i live there longer than all of you and that's why i hate it so much so mm-hmm. forget it but
0: yeah that's the thing <laughs> grow that, up that's the thing that yeah. drives me nuts about doing these podcasts Is i'm afraid somebody's gonna listen and be like well you guys just don't get it and i don't know what to say to that besides yeah we do I mean, we've had... Uh, oh, we do. Know. We do. Oh, yeah. I, I don't want to tell the stories. It wouldn't be helpful to tell the stories, but it's we, an, you probably listened to those. It's
2: the, ugly uh, and awful and sad and embarrassing and painful to mm-hmm. tell all those stories. But they're real. Been there, done that. We've all had our...
1: Yeah, uh, it's awkward and it's awful. And I mean, there,
2: there are two ways that you can hear us talking about this. We've been there, done that, lived it, and therefore we hate the idea that this man wants to trap you there and tell yes. you that this is... This is the height uh, of self-knowledge and understanding of the world and God and the way God made the world and what God demands and requires of you. Yep. Or you can say, oh, these are just a bunch of glib idiots. Mm -hmm. In which case, turn us off. But I don't think you've been listening to anything we've ever said before. So. Mm -hmm. Yep. There you go. Sorry, I'm just going to like keep putting my gun to the head of any (laughs) discussion because that's not what I'm trying to do, but it's just like, I don't know how to talk about this without wanting to put my head, my gun to the, the head of, <laughs> yeah, of, it's like... of this stuff and blow it to pieces because I think it's so destructive. I don't know that I've come across anything that we've read that has been so central to the utter degradation, death, despair, and sexual ruin of people I've known and loved mm-hmm. than Dostoevsky. There's not any other author. There's not any other... There's nothing I've ever seen or come across, or, th- or that we've come across in this show that has been so directly tied to people dying and molesting their children and raping people and overdosing on drugs. Like it's just like the de- the absolute depravity that you can allow yourself to justify and embrace by living here is off the charts.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, I really think because precisely because it's in a novel form, it's that much more destructive. That sort of person reads uh, Nietzsche, for example, it's horrific what it can do to them. But there's nobody that picks up Nietzsche that doesn't kind of know that's what it's doing a little bit, even if it's just in the- At least Nietzsche tells you The depths of their heart. Yeah. He's like, yeah. God is dead and we killed him, man. <laughs> it's like, okay, I know what this guy's doing. <laughs> Deep. Yeah. You know, or Schopenhauer or somebody like that, you know, like, suffering is all that there is, man. Like, at least you know you're taking poison when you read one of those guys. But Dostoevsky has this reputation among conservative Christians as a poet and a philosopher and someone worth listening to. You know, you read, because and I did this, an article on the Gospel Coalition about Brothers Karamazov, and it says, the great Christian writer... Mm-hmm. Dostoevsky. I mean, Why well, ain't nobody making that mistake about Nietzsche? Right. But we're supposed to take this seriously. We're supposed to grapple with the questions that the Grand Inquisitor brings up. That's supposed to be The like,
2: Grand Inquisitor says, wouldn't the world be better if Jesus had just given in to the temptation of the devil and there'd never been an institutional church and we all just lived in a collectivist socialist society? Guess what? That's been tried. Does of millions and millions of people. It doesn't work. It's mm-hmm. bad. It's wrong. The answer to that is no. And every wannabe profound college student who wants to ask that question, sorry, guys, there's nothing profound about it. The question's been asked for 200 years. It's been put into practice, explored to no end. Stop reading Dostoyevsky and pick up a history book.
1: So is there ever a point of life where Dostoevsky is appropriate? Like, is it good oh, to read sure. Dostoyevsky to help sure. you get through those questions in the first place?
2: Yeah, there's always going to be somebody out there who needs to be brought to some level of reality and existential crisis. So, they have to deal with their own sin and the sin of the world and their own lack of self-control and their own decadence. But I would say sure. most
0: mature people can read Ecclesiastes. They can read... Mm-hmm.
2: Maybe Ecclesiastes actually has, understands what faith is right. and hope, you know? And you can sit down and read it in one sitting and get everything and more than the Brothers Karamazov has for you. And it's coming at you 5,000 different ways. It's going to come at you poetically. It's going to come at you metaphorically. It's going to come at you directly head on. Like, What does Dostoevsky actually, at the end of the day, do that Solomon doesn't do? Mm.
0: You know who I think should read Dostoevsky, actually? I think a mature Christian man who maybe doesn't have a lot of direct experience with the underground man who actually hasn't suffered in these ways, but would like to understand a little something about the mindset. I think that person could do well to read Notes from Underground.
2: Notes from the Underground, Uh, sure. uh, But I was going to say Solzhenitsyn or, I mean... Yeah, you could still do better, but I think I wouldn't begrudge
0: that person probably reading... And Notes from the Underground would be the one. Yeah, because it's short and because it's... It gets there. It's pithy, it's insightful, it's... It gives you everything you need. I don't know, Brandon, you want to push back on this a little bit? You want to defend old Fidor?
1: Do I want to defend old Fidor? Um, I don't have to. I'm just, I'm trying to think where you would start. I mean, so
2: I guess. Yeah, I think you start with your context. I think you start with, hey, This, this you wasn't can Marilyn s- you Manson putting that. on makeup to pretend to be exactly a broken- right." You can say that because you live in 21st century America and you grew up in the 90s.
0: This guy was absolutely. He lived in broken. Disneyland.
2: And so, everybody that you know that's dealt with this sort of thing is somebody who's just a poser. It's not somebody who's grown up in Russia and has been actually had a gun put to the back of his head and sent off to an internment camp yeah. and had his father and mother die, and his wife, and his brother, and every and his, and his children. children all dead. It's like, you know, what my answer to that is um, have you heard of this guy, the Apostle Paul? <laughs> Beaten, stoned, whipped, chained, night and a day at sea, all the stuff that he lists out. And and now let's go read Philippians out loud together and see what Philippians has to do with brothers Karamazov. Again, I say rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. I have learned the secret of being content in every circumstance, whether I, I have plenty or I have need. And hunger and thirst, and it just doesn't matter. Rejoice again, I say rejoice. Like you would not... Someone might. I he said. comes to faith in Christ and all his friends try to kill him. And he gets let down over the wall in a basket. And that's the beginning of what it means to be a Christian for the Apostle Paul. Come, and he ends up being beheaded in Rome. Is it, come on. If this is life, the Apostle Paul has no idea what he's talking about. Yeah. And I'm sorry if it sounds trite to you. But actually, the Bible does call us to more. And offer more to us than sitting
0: around and experiencing some
2: kind of guilt catharsis. It's
0: well, for one thing, it offers a robust picture of good, which is, yeah, so lacking. I mean, that's a almost a trite thing to say. It's lacking uh, in this book. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I hate Alyosha, I, I really hate that character. Why? Because he is he is a false picture of christ Uh, he is borderline blasphemous i want to say if not just fully blasphemous because he is the christ figure in the book and it's because he turns the other cheek it's because he looks the other way it's because he somebody comes at him with the grand inquisitor and he kisses that person which is exactly what the christ figure in this poem the grand inquisitor does. does and that is such a false view such an insipid small-minded view of who our savior was our savior was dickens and all of his sentimentality would have done better oh dickens would have done a million times better
1: yeah dickens did better yeah
0: dickens did do better dickens christ figures like sydney uh what's his face spoiler yeah yeah spoiler (laughs) um dickens christ figures are better they're like dudes who are like i'm making a choice because i have agency i mean Alyosha. at the very least can you give me that a christ figure should have agency that Jesus Christ is coming back with a sword that he came intentionally that the father God sent him that he everywhere he goes every vignette every story every parable it's like Jesus comes Jesus came to make war yeah exactly and he did
2: Mm -hmm. he dethroned the principalities and powers of this world but there's a reason I'm not not even going there because
0: I I don't know we want to start there I want to say can you just give me that Jesus like did things (laughs) can you give me that much because these Alyosha it's like He's a Christ figure. It's the same thing with the idiot in the idiot, whatever that guy, Prince Mishkin or whatever his name is. It's the same thing. It's the same place that Ross Konikov in Crime and Punishment ends up at the end of the book. It's like once you've become a man of faith, it means you're a man who looks the other way at evil, who doesn't actually stand up to it, a man who just lets himself get slapped around. And what I'm not saying is in order to truly be a Christian, you have to self actualize. What I'm saying is. Well, I'm saying what Jake was saying. We have a we have a God who is making war.
2: Can you imagine how impotent David would be mm-hmm. if he had been fed brothers Karamazov? King David, youth? you mean? King David. Yeah, yeah, King yeah. David. Can you imagine how impotent King David would
0: have been? How impotent Moses, how yeah. impotent... Actually, we all have our Goliath. In some ways, we all are Goliath. So, I, I don't know what we should I do. mean, just think... Just, go go just kiss think.
2: Goliath. I mean, <laughs> there is... Okay, well, I think we're actually coming to it, which is the utter complete, the, the assumption of the absence of self-control and utter decadence is really an assumption of effeminacy. Mm-hmm. And the utter effeminacy that's at the heart of this sort of self-navel-gazing, gross, it's just, it's gay mm-hmm. as all get out. And you cannot, ima- can you imagine giving this book to a young man and then having him come away like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna man up i'm gonna deal with my sin i'm gonna marry a woman i'm gonna raise a family and i'm gonna have some ambition and take on the task of filling and subduing this earth and calling people to god's kingdom and it's not
0: just that he won't because get that lesson it's that he will get a lesson that contradicts and despises that every aspect yeah, yeah, yeah. of that it's like don't it's like, take wh- any kind why of responsibility should you? you shouldn't the the best that it, it's just it's passive i mean it's, it's like yeah christ-likeness is equated with passivity and that's where ross Rask- again that's where raskanikov ends up that's where Alyosha ends up
2: and if you think if prince you,
0: michigan prince michigan starts there <laughs> and he never and has if, to grow anywhere so yeah. then if
2: you think that this has that kind of spiritual utility well what is it come on man who do you think like what, what what's your view of what it means to be godly was what it what's your view of what it means to be a man What's your view of what it means to walk in repentance? Mm-hmm. You, you don't have a view of repentance. You have a view of wallowing in your filth and feeling bad enough about it. That's
0: it. That's gay. Well, Sorry. If, if I was decadent enough, estate, <laughs> or, 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 or I, I'm, wow. I am <laughs> I am decadent <laughs> enough, that I could probably enjoy this book if it was entertaining then like if it, was me all, too. if it was all those things me but too. it was just like fun
1: <laughs> i'd be like yeah.
0: okay well this is crap but uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it you know i mean i like proust i like stuff that's decadent and effeminate but me too you
1: know like me too but, but good but this is trying to make you feel bad about it at the same time right
0: <laughs> here's here's something of no nutrition and it tastes bad <laughs>
1: yeah huh well, everybody, I was a, we uh, love Jake,
0: I blame Jake on this one. He's, he's, he's leading the charge. But, I couldn't help it, man. Yeah, I'm this sorry. This might turn out to be
1: our most controversial episodes. Well, let's push I little, back. Let's, I, don't let's, I don't even care. You know, let me say this. Should we push back in a new episode? Yeah, well, I can push back on me all it?
2: you want. I will be the bad guy. I don't care. I really...
1: I think that we can push back, back some, but it actually Dostoy requires WSK digging into for. the book.
0: Yeah, well, we'll push back a little bit next episode. I want to ask you this question that I've been teasing the whole time. So
1: yeah, let's push back the next episode. Yeah, let's do that.
0: Let me ask you this question though cuz I am I am confounded by his view of psychology. This idea that I have an idea, therefore I will go act on it. Like uh-huh. that's just so stupid to me. Like nobody nobody acts like that. Nobody thinks like, I have a philosophy, therefore that's who I am. No, we have like desires and temptations and what we ate for breakfast. It's like... And our desires and temptations impact what we believe and then we try to hold them in opposition to each other and then we end up doing what we do. We tell ourselves one thing, we're destined if you want to put it that way, to do another. There's so much that goes into who makes a person and, and the way that Dostoevsky looks at it is so reductive. I mean, if Dostoevsky, you know, I said the thing about Pride and Prejudice earlier, if he wrote Anna Karenina, it would be like, Anna posited that morality was not absolute when it came to sex. And so, therefore, she had sex with... Whomever she pleased. With, with Vronsky. It's like, that's not why Anna did that. She did it because she wanted something, because her husband was this way. Like, there's a million reasons why Anna did that. And Tolstoy captures every one of them yeah. brilliantly. But it wasn't just she had this one driving thing that she... So, my question is... Yes. Here's my question. Your question. That I've been trying We're coming to, to it. yeah, yeah. Is it just Dostoevsky being a little weirdo a skeezy little weirdo that he writes people like that this is the dump on dostoevsky episode the next one we're going to say how great it is but or is there in fact something to the russian character this is my question for you my kind of context question for you brandon and we need to talk about our baggage by the way although i think (laughs) jake's given us some baggage um i don't have any baggage you (laughs) you know i mean i'm thinking about all those novelists you mentioned that were writing in the kind of flowering of the novel in the 18th century, your Eliots and your Austen's and your Thackeray's and your Dickens and people like that in different cultures, or or even Flaubert or uh, Balzac or anybody that you could name, they don't do that. They present full portraits of the way that human psychology works and their characters don't tend to obsess about ideas. But you read Russian literature and Dostoevsky, most of all, but even in something like Tolstoy, Pierre and Andre and people like that are trying to process their life through these big philosophical ideas. The characters of uh-huh. Jane Austen, of George Eliot, of Dickens, of Flaubert, of anything you could name, they're not really processing their lives principally through philosophy. But in the great Russian novels, both Tolstoy, sorry, this is a long place to get to an obvious question, maybe, but they're processing their lives through these ideas. And I was just wondering, is there something about the Russian character or about the Russian situation that made it that way? The, or, or is it just that those were two weirdos that thought about things that way? They a made it bit? where
1: Dostoevsky would do it that way?
0: And where Tolstoy would do a better job, but still, like, Pierre's thinking about himself in opposition to all these ideas that were floating around. Oh, I think- Which, which that, you actually don't get in most English literature of the time. You don't, I mean- You kind of get it in Middlemarch. A little bit, but not, not quite the same way. Like I, in a, in a, I, a theory.
1: In a, where they're actually thinking about these great thoughts and great ideas and- I mean,
0: Middlemarch, it's like, there's that's one element, but there's so much more that has to do with just who they are and the emotions and the experiences mm-hmm. that they bring to it. In, in, in Russian literature- the idea looms large yeah. in psychology. Yeah, I, don't, I, mean, I, I don't know. Like they're how. more philosophical. Yeah, th- yeah, it's maybe me- that's all I'm saying. Why
1: are Russians so dang um, philosophical? French has some influences like that in it as well. I don't know if you've ever read any Balzac, but it has some of that element to it or Flaubert even. Flaubert, not as much actually.
0: But Flaubert, like Madame Bovary, right? And yeah. In that story, she reads a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. and she thinks, wouldn't it be great to be this kind of courtesan free spirit kind of person. But you understand that she's not motivated to become Madame Bovary simply because she read a book. She's motivated because that's who she is. Can
2: can I try to answer this question and jump in on it? Sure. Because I have- Yeah, I'd be interested to hear your theory. The Russians had an identity crisis. They had a cultural crisis. And that cultural crisis created an identity crisis. Are they Asia or are they Europe? Do they wanna be Europe or what? They weren't included in the Reformation. They're not downstream of it. They're not included in the Enlightenment. Yeah. They're, they're downstream of it and they're getting it imported instead of it being a, a, an organic product. So they're hitting up against foreign concepts and foreign ideas and foreign culture and having to process themselves through the lens of a foreign culture that has flowered and blossomed and produced great art and great law and great civilizations, and they have have to deal with their own envy, they have to deal with their own insecurity, and they have to process themselves always in relation to all these other things that have in some way self-actualized and assumed their own greatness. (laughs) Nobody in England is questioning the greatness of the way England thinks or views the world. Mm -hmm. England's just great. In France, you would have a little bit more of that because they're gonna be hitting up against the Spaniards and the Russians. Yeah. And the Germans. So, you'll sure, have a little bit more of that, but the French, they know who they are and they think they're really great and they, they have no envy of the Russians or anybody else. Huh. And so, they're not, it's not causing an identity crisis for them or a cultural crisis. Whereas when we go back to the context that Brandon laid out for us, so much of even the Russian novel is a function of Russians having made their way to Paris and then been like, oh, crap, they're actually kind of better than us here. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean for us? And can we integrate with Europe? And so, it's just all a function of this sort of like cultural crisis and identity crisis that they're all all dealing with. So, of course, they're going to be more philosophical and they're going to try to hit up and project even as they are hitting up against these ideas, project that onto Europeans that simply take this sort of thing for granted and don't actually operate that way they've read their way into european culture they've not lived it
0: yeah yeah well and i think somebody like that it's very human nature to the more unsure of yourself you are the louder you talk about how sure of yourself you are. so if you don't really know what your identity is then you're like this is my identity no this is my idea and see look
2: i understand the philosophy better than the philosophers and see look i understand the way that the rational mind works. I, too, am enlightened. <laughs>
0: it's a little bit so like I the think... mawkish uh, sentimentality that the Victorians had about children, which we've talked about before. What a brutal <laughs> age for yeah. mistreating children. But and they're like, children are great. Hooray for the yeah, children! And I think, I think in some yeah. ways, it's
2: like, if
0: you want to, like,
2: let me jump into Steinbeck, like, for half a second. I think Dostoevsky hits all of that the way uh, the dude who kills himself hits up against it in, in East of Eden. Remember? Oh, the guy, the brother. Um, oh, yeah. One of
0: Samuel's sons. Yeah, one of Samuel's He accidentally sons. kills his sister.
2: He accidentally kills his sister. He kills himself. Yeah. Right? Because he can't hit up against these things and not drown. Right. And so you have Dostoevsky who hits it and drowns under the weight of it. Mm-hmm. And you have Tolstoy who hits it. And not only does he float across the top of it, he's the world's ultimate cosmopolitan living at the exact right time and all this cultural crisis and identity crisis conspires to make him this colossal cosmopolitan genius into the greatest author the world's ever known. Mm-hmm. With the most insight into human nature because he's transcending cultures at a time of cultural crisis and revolution.
0: And in his real life, he eventually succumbs and drowns.
2: And in real life, he eventually succumbs and drowns. But, yes, but in the process, he, he burns bright. And mm. brighter than anybody's ever burned.
1: Yeah. There you go. I think Jake gave you the answer, Nathan. <laughs> good job, Jake. That would have been my answer, but you did a lot better than I would have. So
2: well this done. Is, this has been my uh <laughs> this is my there's my doctoral thesis. Yeah, guys. yeah. Jake, Jake, That's really Jake good. Came, yeah. came up with it on the
0: fly. What do they say? Loaded to bear? Is that the <laughs> loaded forebear. Load <laughs> loaded forebear. Yeah. You gotta no, load your gun I ready I to have... kill the bear. Yep. Right. So... Or if your grandpa drank a lot, he's your loaded
1: forebear. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo. Um <laughs> Yeah. I don't think I'd add anything to that. I think that Jake's right. I think it's both a function of their nation in relation to the rest of Europe and also their particular personalities coming into play there because you had two guys who did end up being weirdos, Mm -hmm. right? Like Dickens just wanted to be a storyteller, right? Right, And so in the end, that's what he did. He told stories. Yep. He sent out some ideas ever occasionally thrown in there, but usually that's the weaker part of Dickens, right? Mm -hmm. Because he wasn't a thinker, but both these guys- could have easily been historians or philosophers, as well as a novelist, if they had wanted to be. Tolstoy did want to be. Yeah, and maybe Dostoevsky would have had a better time of it being a, well, like a dramatist, like people say, mm-hmm. but still. Yeah, it was their particular personalities mixed with this crisis of trying to figure out Russian identity with the growing modernization of their culture and the cruelty of these emperors and trying to keep them... From being able to, progr- I mean, it's the story of Russia that we even see today. Right. right. It's just, that's Russia. So, yeah.
2: Spot on. Look, it it's a reason, it's the reason why Russia was the first to fall to Marx. Yeah. They they had a cultural crisis. They had an identity crisis. And so, they were primed. Yep. To just be taken in by a philosophy. Mm-hmm and to embrace a philosophical way of looking at the world and purge themselves and try to get a fresh start and get a leg up and be a part of the next revolution. Yep. It yeah. was, you take the pride and the envy together with the, crisis, the cultural crisis, walls come down, statues come down, the streets get renamed, the culture gets destroyed and we're trying to build something new, it's what primed. And, and anybody that understands that and actually understands how that revolution happens understands that if you're going to create that revolution or recreate it, you first have to create a cultural crisis and an identity crisis and prime the pump for the statues to come down and the streets to be renamed and for everybody to be ready to give up their culture and to burn the dissidents. Yeah. Right? It's what happened in China and it's what people are trying to do and have been largely successfully doing here in America for the past it's, it's been a longer project, 150-year project, but it's a project. Yeah.
1: Hmm. <laughs> this is not a cooked thought, so I was trying to come up with some Tolstoy and Dostoevsky, their relationship to their culture at the time, and also then the way that they both progressed mm-hmm. and the identities that they represent. It almost seems like Dostoevsky's sort of navel-gazing obsession with this fanaticism Lends itself more to a nation that would go the way Russia went, while a Tolstoy would have inevitably been killed in a revolution. Mm-hmm. Yep. as someone who had too much to see mm-hmm. and to say. Hmm. This isn't a half ba- or this isn't a half baked thought. This is a fully
0: cooked thought. No, this is, this is also a half baked thought, but or half cooked. Like I ZD. have not done a little bit of weed, um, <laughs> nor have I done a lot. Just a modicum. <laughs> There's also something in Dostoevsky. I think that. Tolstoy came for more money than Dostoevsky, right? Yep. Yeah,
1: well, I'm pointing that out yeah, in context. Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: Yeah. So th- th- that's D- Dostoevsky has to always sort of be proving that he knows how to think in a way that Tolstoy can just comfortably-
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah. one thing that's in the- Have his characters talk. So I'm thinking right, about Harold so. Bloom's anxiety of influence yes. here. Right. Russia's is always obsessing about its own identity and its own, we're going to be Russian and this is what it means to be Russian because they're always actually really thinking about the what fact that they're European. insecure complete compared to Europe, right? Yep. And that's part of the Russian identity. So all the nobles in Russia, they both want to be European, but then you also have then this drive to want to find what it means to be Russian as well. And so, you know, you see the tension and all throughout their literature and the fact that Europe does look down on them. I mean, it was a fact, Europe did and to extent still does.
2: Mm-hmm. So And in many ways.
1: Always, kind of, rightly so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and out of that sort of crisis of identity, you get some of the best in the 1800s and then into the 1900s, it would be music, but you get some of the best art that the world would have. Yeah. You, know, you get Tolstoy and then you also get Tchaikovsky, Tchaikovsky. And Stravinsky and those guys. Oh, and so far Russia. as the world doesn't look down
0: on Russia, it's precisely because of these artists. I mean, yeah. cons- that, that, translated these things and people started to, oh, wow, Russian literature. We'll look at this. Look at this. We all
1: thought we were writing novels, but then that guy over in Russia just wrote Anna Karenina and War and Peace. Mm-hmm. I think we can all put our pens down and kind of
0: <laughs> <laughs> if we have a, winner. a Pencils down, folks. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, in I mean, in that sense, if you want to uh pull out the redemption for Dostoevsky, all of that art was produced in the context of a kind of suffering that yes, that their european inferiors
1: never experienced or walked through Mm -hmm. there's a way that dostoevsky is helpful to someone in that context in the sense that he almost like if you're already in the middle of that suffering and you see it all the time around you like with the notes from in the underground this is more true of that and also crime and punishment. punishment yeah you don't want to be those guys right right yeah, except in crime and punishment, he does kind of hold off uh, the redemption of the guy through the prostitute and everything mm. as yeah. ideal. It's great uplifting stuff. Yeah. Notes from the underground. If I'm not mistaken, you're not supposed to really hope that you're that guy, right? Right. Yes, <laughs> okay. true. Am I reading that right? <laughs> but to a, a lazy fat society in the West, they would look to that and they would be like, man, I kind of wish that I, in a perverse way, they would be like, I kind of wish that I had that Russian society so that I could be... The oppressed demonic figure, like that, right? Yeah, it's then, like
0: people in the '90s watching the movie Train Spotting or something. Yeah, and we, they're we like, all they all want to be this grody part of the underground. They don't really so want sick. it. No, you but wouldn't they actually like it of, if you had to experience yeah. it.
1: But they like to imagine themselves that way.
0: Yeah, there's right? a romanticism to,
1: and there's a perversity yeah. when if you're doing that with your art, then there is a perversity to it, right? If you're, if that's the way you're reading, that you wish that you could be in that sort of seedy situation, so you could be that character, even to the extent that you then imagine that you actually kind of are. Like, this is, as much as I don't like him, this is what that guy, that one American writer, I forget his name. He did American Psycho. Oh, Brett Eston Ellis. Yeah, he writes yeah. about that, right? Yeah. That American tendency to imagine a world that's grungy and evil just so that we can imagine ourselves like that, mm-hmm. right? So, it's Walter Mitty with a edge. <laughs> yeah. I've got
0: a pun, Walter, but I can't say it because- It would be inappropriate for a Christian podcast, but it would have been brilliant.
1: I don't think you've left really anything to
0: the imagination, so. Well, there you go. Make your own pun, folks. Do whatever you want with it. No matter how many they are. (laughs) But I think it's important what you said. Dostoevsky wasn't a poser. (laughs) Whatever else he was, he he lived this stuff. He was a real (laughs) madman. He was a really broken dude. (laughs) (laughs) So you can give him that much, I guess. Although maybe Jake doesn't want to give him that. You want to give him that, Jake? No, I, d- I did give him that when I was defending him earlier. That's right. You did He did. Him that. Yeah.
1: All right. So, last one, one other detail that I never realized about him, mm-hmm. and for some reason it stuck out to me. He was apparently really short. He was like 5'3". Oh, That's, that explains that, everything. That shocks me. Mm-hmm. I always imagined explains him Explains
2: all that. All you, you, you we could have just
1: said that at the top. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I always imagined him as like a bigger Russian guy, right? With a wild beard and hair. Yeah, it's funny. It's yeah, yeah, I, I
0: imagine him as a weaselly, small, little
1: kind of- Really Accountant kind of guy. Well, you got it right on then, Nathan. Yeah, well, there you go. Your perspicacity once again does you honor My perspicacity once again did me
0: honor folks, and that's why we listen to this podcast so you can hear my perspicacity do me honor. All right, we'll come back next time. maybe we'll defend dostoevsky a little maybe. bit. no, no, no dig in a little bit more.
1: I'm done, I'm done with this guy.
0: <laughs> Jake will be like, you know what, guys? I've decided dostoevsky great <laughs> I've
1: got I, I, I will say that I have a feeling that this is either. Like for our fans, our fans are going to love this episode. <laughs> for everyone who has a bone to pick with us, we're going to get bones picked at us for this episode, so. Yep. <laughs> I think
0: that's true. And speaking of bones, our patrons have, what, 288 apiece? And they've many, thrown them all at, many, at us. How many bones does the average person have? I don't know, Nathan. <laughs> they don't have any bones to pick because they love us. They support us and I will now. that over, what? 1500 bones a month. Yeah, exactly. Once again, please get us to 2K bones so that we can start to give Brandon a little bit of well deserved money. That'll get you ready, player one. Two. I always say that wrong. That'll get you ready, player two. And sometime, hopefully early this year, you'll be getting some King Arthur because you got us to 15K. Now, let me read the patrons and why don't you guys say which you can take turns saying which candy this patron reminds you of. Robert and Robert and the Lovebirds. Frankenstein. The artful Anthony Dodger. Dracula. <laughs> yes. Little Anthony's cigar store. Frankenstein. The immortal Chelsea E. Dracula. I feel like a theme is emerging here. <laughs> I feel like we've done this before. We're stuck in some kind of hellish existential <laughs> loop. Can't get out of it. It's breaking my mind. I am a sick man. I am, a, uh, oh no, an no. underground man. No,
1: no, no,
0: no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I'll just turn the other cheek. I'll just let you guys do it because <laughs> that's what a true Christian does. The Imperial Chelsea. How are you saying? Little ba- Jimmy B and Little Annie Oakley. Dracula. Brendan <laughs> really had to think about that one there. <laughs> Lillian Valley he almost said 5th Avenue but yeah <laughs> 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 Jacket, the third monster <laughs> and Ernesto <laughs> <laughs> <and laughs> the lovebirds the Keith Master David Man, trucking John Drac- and Jill Drac- the Dracula, 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 Dracula. Dracula, 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 Dracula. Dracula, 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 Dracula. Dracula, 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 Dracula,
2: Dracula, 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 Noah constructor, Mara Cheek, yeah. Fair yeah. and Fragrant, yeah. yeah. Megan yeah. Chloe, and think he's called Nate's Life Liberty Institute of
1: Chief, Jadity Jeffery, Texas Ranger, Jack. Rachel. Rachel. Oh.
0: Rachel. Midnight in Dallas, Return of the Jedi, Jane of Brack and Ruin, Jimmy the Future at Dawn, Eric and Kate the Camp Jam, Chiefs of Wonderland, Maddie, 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 Madden, Sweet Jamie, Sunshine, Tyler of the Keeper of Eternal Darkness, and Lord of the Keeper of Eternal Life, Cold Steel Cody, Jack, the Librarian, Barbarian, John, blah, Bob, Dickity, Captain Daniel, Dracula, Saxophone Alex, Other Saxophone Alice, Deb, So, Danny, Ryan, Tara of Texas, Eric of Cream and Crimson, or Stuck in the Cold, Please send cheese, Frankenstein, Dracula, Frankenstein, Ben Solo, and Kylo Ren, Dracula. Face like the Jackson Pollock painting of <laughs> patron shoutouts. John, right. the cosmic king of chaos. Frankenstein. Dracula. Matthew, the mind flare. Frankenstein. Dracula. Actually, I wrote down Matthew, the mind flarer. <laughs> uh, I don't know what that means, but he's got flair. He's got flair. Annie, are you okay? Get your gun. <laughs> Frankenstein. That's
1: the best one ever.
0: Dracula. <laughs>
2: that
0: is a good one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Almost is the camp king, or whatever. Uh, yeah. the king's. I remember that one? We
0: were warm and lovey. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, we were tired that day. Oh yeah. All right. Goodbye, folks. Good night.